Welcome to A Page in History. Join us on a fascinating journey as we delve into the memories of the world-famous NBC Pages. Get ready to hear first-hand accounts of their unforgettable experiences as they navigated the hallways of Burbank, California and the iconic 30 Rockefeller Plaza. Prepare to hear fascinating stories that were never meant to reach the ears of the general public. And now, your host for A Page in History, David Harris Katz. Get ready to deep dive into a captivating episode of A Page in History that will transport you to the vibrant world of NBC in the late 80s. Ever wondered what it was like to be a barrier between David Letterman and a TV studio? Our guest not only had to stop the late night legend from crashing the Live at Five set, but also witnessed the surprise turn of events that left everyone shocked. And it involved cake and ice cream. From a life-changing assignment in DC to moonlighting as a roadie on Saturday Night Live, our guest's journey is a mosaic of unforgettable experiences. Imagine rubbing shoulders with David Johansson and other legends at Madison Square Garden. It's not a dream, it's just another day in the life of an NBC page. But the excitement doesn't end there. Picture this, a snapshot with NBC president Jack Welch and a heartwarming tale of camaraderie with talk show host Phil Donahue. And our guest spills the foot-stomping story that made him so happy when he received his official NBC page uniform. For all you 30 Rock enthusiasts, get ready for a backstage pass as our guest shares how NBC pages like himself roam free, exploring the studios and their tape machines, cameras, and lighting equipment. His friendship with a lighting supervisor even led to an education that rivals the best film schools. But that's not all. He was able to tell Mr. Schwarzenegger, she'll be back. It's not a made-up story. He worked with the legendary Don Pardo, who he tracked to produce a voiceover for NBC stations nationwide. From CNBC to the BBC, his journey is a whirlwind of fascinating tales that will leave you hanging on every word. So buckle up and stay tuned for an enthralling conversation with Mr. Ben Hoffman. Woo! Mr. Ben Hoffman! Woohoo! <laughs> okay, Ben, how's it going? It's going good, David. It's going good. <laughs> So you are calling us uh, from across the pond, I guess, as it were. Where, where are you calling us from? Yeah, this is uh, London, England. Yes, this is where wow. I live and work now. Wow. And you're originally from uh, the U.S.? Originally from uh, U.S., yes, in Lindenhurst, Long Island. Oh, really? Okay. Yes. I grew up in Woodbury, Long Island. Okay. Uh, All right. I always I always mention this. Anyone from, I always mention WLIR. Do you, yes. Do you, do you remember that station? Yes, yes. Okay, yeah. So I, 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 into, I, I interned there and I was a fanatic and I was um, a little bit insane. And I and I encourage everyone to check out the movie Dare to be Different. Uh, I think it's called New Wave Dare to be Different. It's the it's the little history about that little radio station that could. And it has mm -hmm. all your favorite 80s new wave music in it. And I was I have a credit on the movie, too. So uh, I participated a little bit and I'm in the movie for about about a second. <laughs> There's a shot of me there for a second. But anyway. Uh, we're not here to talk about WLIR, even though I could talk about that forever. We are here to talk about your wonderful uh, paging, uh, pagedom, 
mm-hmm. at 30 Rock in New York City. And yes. um, you had so many great stories. Uh, they were all so cool. And 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 again, uh, I you know we appreciate you being here, and we appreciate all the other pages that have been a part of the podcast. But uh, we'll just kick things off uh, with Mr. David Letterman and and the whole story about Live at Five and Letterman. And we've had other folks talk about the Letterman thing being the page at the door. So tell us what happened there. Well, for me, it was um, quite an interesting uh, day because, as you know, because you were a page that worked in the same place, uh, Live at Five obviously went out live at Five in uh, studio across the way from Letterman's studio. His was always taped, but I was told, because I was a page waiting for guests to come in on the Live at Five show, please do not let David Letterman in because we had rumors that he was going to try to come in and do something to the show. So I thought they were just kidding around. But lo and behold, I'm standing out there waiting for a guest and a camera crew come out in umbilical cord, like with uh, him there. Wow. And I physically stopped him from coming in because Jack Hafferty and Sue Simmons and Al Roker were inside. And he didn't like it, but he grabbed me by the lapels and kind of moved me off to the side, but I still stopped him from going in. So all that went down. But the next day I was still asked to come back and do my post at Live at Five. And he was told, unbeknown to me, to apologize to me. So the same thing happened again. But this time, it was the floor manager who brought me in. Biff. I don't know if you remember Biff. Biff. Of course, we all remember Biff. Yeah. Yeah. So he brought me in. And I was about to sit down. And he stopped me from sitting down. Because obviously, there would have been a payment there, I was told. (laughs) I stand. (laughs) Wow. And he was telling me all what he was going to do but because i stopped him and there is a videotape on youtube of the whole thing of him handing me ice cream and cake as an apology because he was told that that's not the way to treat pages and the general public shouldn't be shown that because obviously we do snl and seat audiences and tickets and tours so he had to apologize live on air so well his taped recording but if you look on youtube you might be able to see it um, wow. it says Ben on Letterman show and, wow. uh, sporting the Tom Selleck mustache back then in the eighties. But, um, yeah, it was, it was pretty cool. Wow. So again, for the listeners, I just want to sort of, um, give a play by play of sort of what that means. So again, um, as you mentioned, you know, on the sixth floor, Letterman was at six, a live at five with six B. Now you were a page. Now, normally they had pages inside, let's say Letterman's door where you would see them on camera like during the show now you were and it's funny so you you were getting guests to go into live at five so you were on the outside of the door yeah yeah where the green room is where their makeup is so i was taking them from there inside whatever uh interview they were going to be done with either jack or sue simmons or something like that so i was just outside in the hallway not expecting david letterman to come bursting through his doors and coming across right so okay if it wasn't for the producers in the show telling me to be expecting of this, I think I may have just let them go right on in. And right. um, they did some funny things as well on the vision mixes. So you had like David Letterman with really funky hair. And, okay. um, you know, so it was, it was quite interesting. So, so he, so he didn't, so, so you actually, right. He did not get in, right. No, he, no, no, no. He right. did not. And then David Letterman said the next day, that was quite brave for 
a page where it's like $40 a month to, to stop me. And that, <laughs> right. you know, so, right. So again, so I'm just going to recap that. So, and again, as in, you know, we were what you were 20 years old ish, 20, yeah, about 20, 21. Yeah. About 20. Yeah. Right. And so he's again, six foot four. You got to remember, he's six four. I'm about five ten. So being <laughs> grabbed by him was just not. I didn't expect that at all. And he was serious, right? Well, that's the thing, you know. And again, we've sort of talked about this in the past. You know, we, you know, we're right out of college, uh, and we basically, you know, they, they don't give us very specific, you know, play by play of what to do in in different situations. And the live at five now. Now it turns out that I actually worked. I started my career from NBC. I went on to work for Sue Simmons, Jack Cafferty, Al Roker, Len Berman, Pat uh, Harper, Dawn Fratangelo. I was their personal assistant. Oh, were you? Yeah, after I became a page. So I know Jack. I actually, it's funny, somewhere in behind me. Yes. It's really funny. I actually have uh, Jack Cafferty's stationery that says Jack wow. Cafferty from the pit, I guess, cause he had left, he was there, but I guess he left. So I don't, maybe I was cleaning out his desk or something and, and got it. I don't remember, but, um, but yeah, so I was their assistant. And then of course I wound up becoming a, a production associate on the five, right. six and 11 newscasts, as well as I went on to then do promotion for WNBC. So I'm very familiar with those guys and their temperament. And even, even Sue Simmons though, actually it's funny. I'll give you some good Sue Simmons stories uh, as a side note. Do you have any, did you ever interact stories. with her? Yeah. Tell some well, Sue. No, I got, I got or... not from Sue Simmons, but I got a story about Pia Lindstrom, who was the weather. Oh yeah. Person. Oh and, yeah. Tell us. Yeah. Go for it. Well, I never knew her half sister was Isabella Rossellini. Yes. Yes. And as a 20 year old, as you said, you're thinking, okay, you're just in this atmosphere with these people who are, I guess not, you know, super famous but semi-famous right. you know and coming from new york you grew up just like i did i mean i'm sitting yeah. getting chuck's lunch and get you know and and we grew up watching these people so now yes. you're literally working with them so yeah yeah which was product. amazing so i had no idea and then when you see them in the flesh it's like wow there's no longer that screen of the telly in mm-hmm. front of you you know and right. i do have a story about jack as well because yeah. i know he's a difficult person to work with <laughs> yeah tell us yeah um, well, you know, he didn't like people getting too close to him, you know, so I always had to make sure that I was whatever I was watching, how the cameras worked or how um, the audio sounds were working, because I was very interested in the technical technical oh. stuff of oh. the uh, studio. So whenever I approached the actual desk, he was like, no, 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 you know, so it was, it was kind of, you know, you had to like, make sure you give him space. <laughs> right. And it's so funny because Jack, if I may call him Jack. Um, and I worked with him. I think he, I, I think he was, I think Tony Gaida took, you remember Tony Gaida? No. no. So Tony, I believe took over for Jack because my desk was right outside of it basically along. Um, uh, and I'll give a shout out to Carl Killingsworth, who was the press and publicity person at WNBC he has since passed away. One of my favorite people, but he used to, <laughs> he was a riot but he called it um, like talent row or something or whatever it was. But you had Sue's office first, then you had Jack. And then I, and then when Jack left, it became um, Tony Guida's office. Then it was Chuck's office. And then it was, uh, well, Pat Harper, who then left. And then Dawn Fratangelo came in. So I was sitting right across from their office. And, and Jack, it's so funny because he does get this um, stigma as being a real, I'll say, prick, I guess. But he actually was, you know, like he really was very nice. He he never he never 
like he seemed grumpy, but uh, and yeah. especially yeah. especially <laughs> Sue Simmons, Sue Simmons. No. no, no, she would. She didn't put up with BS with anyone. So yeah, she was cool. She was so cool with me. Very right. sweet, very kind. You know, I mean, maybe she liked me. I have no idea, but I never had any beef from her whatsoever. Right. No, no, she was great. But 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 because she had to work with Jack, she didn't take anything from him. You know, she was like, listen, oh, yeah. you know, so I guess maybe in restaurant in restaurant row in, in talent row, whatever Carl used to call it, um, you know, he 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 was well behaved, I guess I'm saying. Like like she wouldn't she was next door and and there was there was he was always very nice and and yeah he, he never he never snapped at me or anything like that. But I, again I only worked for them for a little bit. Um but Jack, yeah, he was great. And then Tony took over. And again, if Tony happens to be listening to this, Tony also is one of my favorite people. He was so nice. I love that guy. He was so cool. Um he would always miss, he'd always do the live updates in mm -hmm. the studio they would set up and again if you're from new york you may remember this but in the in the control in this in the um uh newsroom they set up a camera in the corner yes and, and that's talent... where chuck scarborough was always up there right the last, they... and it, you know if there was something that was a quick bulletin that they had a flash to he was i do remember that chuck was always up there right so yeah exactly so th those were the those were right before the, ta the tail end of the episodes uh, or the sh you know the the top of the hour and then I guess at some point, Tony, you know, maybe they would rotate. I forget. But Tony had to do it. And literally, Tony would forget all the time to 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 run out there. So I'd be <laughs> sitting at my desk and all of a sudden someone from the new room going, Tony, and they're screaming. And he, oh, shit, he, he, he literally jump up from his desk and run <laughs> into the newsroom. Uh -huh. So, yeah, to to make the update. And I literally it's so funny. I don't know why I didn't just get him an alarm clock, but I literally remember Radio Shack. Yes. Yes. You know, I literally went to Radio Shack and I bought all of these parts with us with a siren and a box and switches. And I built him this. It, I, I don't know why to just make an alarm clock now that I'm thinking about it, but I made him this elaborate thing that at, at the like one minute after the hour, I'd flip the switch and then right, you know, 10 minutes to the top of the hour, the alarm would go off and he uh -huh. would have to shut it off to, to remind him to go do his update. So again, a little old page, you know, I'm sitting here reminding Tony to go to, you know, to 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 go on air to, you know, the eight million people that he's going to be talking to. So um, but anyway, so so, yeah, so the, it so the fact that you were going back to the that was a little side note, but but going back to the to the floor. So the yes. fact that Letterman. Right. You know, we're told they can't come in. So yes. it's not like it's not like, um, you know, we we have the experience to sort of know what to do, not to do. We're just told this is Letterman can't come in mm -hmm. and that's it. And, and, you know, we don't even know to the point where if you had let Letterman in, you don't know if, you know, Mary Rothschild is going to call you down to the office and say, uh, Ben, we told you not to let him in. You're now yes. fired. Right. We, yeah, you don't it's know. True. Right. It's true, but the, yes, you're right. You're absolutely right. But the thing that was always in the back of my mind was live at five was, live at five his i knew was a recorded program so whatever was happening there was no way again i was going to let something interrupt their live right. program because he right. rehearses it once and then plays it back you know he has got many a time so right I, so i did the right thing i believe but no was, you and again really, right in your defense <laughs> you literally did what you were told and i think letterman because we've had i don't know if we if you've listened to other stories uh sue santamaro or Susie santamaro 
she was another page where let she wanted she was at the at the desk and she sent her her over to go get Joan Collins. And she she herself, the page tried to go into the green room and they they, you know, tried to block the camera and it was a whole big thing. And Susie, you know, uh, to this day, we're still talking about it. So he was constantly doing that. And he on many occasions, he would go into the studio. So Roker was up on state, you know, on the set doing his weather. He'd be doing his weather and all of a sudden Letterman would walk in. And if you were watching Channel four in New York. At that time, you literally would see Letterman walk in, and yes. then if you tuned in at at twelve thirty that night, you would then see what transpired earlier in the day. Mm -hmm. So again, it it is fascinating, and you definitely did the right uh, you did the right thing, and it's so cool that he did it. And again, Letterman was probably just so taken aback. You know, he was like he was like, "Oh my God, who is this little punk?" You yes, know, stopping he me. He, yeah, he was he was quite ticked off about it. But then, you know, I found out that he liked uh, Formula One racing. So I, I gave him a magazine. Uh, I sent it to his office for an uh, apology. Said, so, you know, nothing uh, against oh, you. Right funny. But do, do many of your listeners know that Letterman started off as a weather person first? Um, I personally know that, but I don't know. Um, yeah, I, mean, I don't know. I, actually, I think all the diehard folks probably do. Yeah. <laughs> But um, but may maybe some of the listeners don't. Yeah, he was in, I guess, Weatherman in Indiana. I, yeah, I, that's I right. That's probably why I always wanted to do Al Roko's um, weather stuff. But yeah, he was, he was cool. He was all right afterwards. But yeah, right. he was just trying to make good telly. Right. So again, now we're going to fast forward to when he brought you in the next day. Yes. So again, he probably, he for all as we know, he got some heat from NBC saying, because it's, because, well, or or his writers or Morton Morty, who was his producer, thought it would obviously be funny to bring you back the second day. Mm -hmm. But he figures, you know, we better smooth this out, smooth this over, bring you in and, you know, like make a joke out of it because it really was not appropriate kind of thing. No, uh, you know, like when he's doing the top 10, right. as he's reading that out, you know, on his cards, he's basically said. Um, is Ben Hoffman next door or is he been dismissed because I was told to bring him in as per my instructions? Oh. So he was told. <laughs> wow. he, he basically weaved it into his top 10 list. Wow. And after the whole thing, he it, I know it bothered him because he just couldn't go through the top 10 quickly. Right. He kept on saying things and making references. Right. Wow. It's funny. Yeah, it really. And again, you know, because uh, I don't know about you, but I was from day one uh, or I should probably day two after because he had his morning show. So I, I didn't tune into the morning show when that was canceled. But I was a Letterman fan from day one. And that's what made his show magical. I loved and, and maybe because I was interested in TV, but I loved when he went behind the scenes and you saw the hallway and you saw the pages and you saw and the live at five door actually says closed set i believe on the, yeah. on, the on the door yeah. actually does say closed set um which which again actually we'll talk about the fact that that closed set means nothing in in anything <laughs> ever you know uh so anyway so he so he gave you the ice cream did you did did that ice cream wind up going down to the page lounge did did oh no did he I, it or I, was I just you it was just me. Basically, it was one, uh, you know, scoop of ice cream and one slice of cake. And he was giving it to me. And you know how he does the um, the mail. You know, he puts his hat on and he, he didn't have a napkin or anything. So he was almost going to give me his hat as well to make sure I didn't spill it on my way out. But it was it was pretty good. You know, Biff then gave me a napkin as I was walking out the door. 
But yeah. um, got a massive round of applause, you know, and people were like, yeah, whoever saw it the night before, you know, because you got to wait for ki- tickets and stuff. So right. it was it was pretty good. It was probably one of my most momentous times as being a page, but I have several other as well because I was there for longer than the 18 months. Right. Um, I think that I, you know, really, really am very lucky because of what I did there, you know, throughout the entire uh, I think I was there for 22 months. Oh, wow. Well, let's uh, well, hold up. Um, well, one one last question for about the, the, the other segment. Did did um, did you say anything? Did you did you actually say it? Yeah, he, he was he was asking me. He said, what would you have done if I got through? And he goes, um, you know, he's asking me these questions. And I said, well, I wouldn't use any deadly physical force on you, but I was mm. not going to let you come through. And it got a huge chuckle from the audience. Wow. If if there was a way for me to. um point you towards that um, YouTube video because a friend of mine taped it on, on VHS and then put it on YouTube. So it's called Ben on Letterman. Well, Show. I'll, yeah, I'll find that. And I'm um, I'll put that on the uh, a page in history TV website so people could sure. see it as well. So I'll download it and, and upload it onto my website. It's I, hilarious. It's... Uh, I'm so excited because now I want to see it. I want to see it. But I guess the, the big question is, did you get paid at all for for talking? No. So nope. you didn't get paid really, because oh, nor my, was, my understanding was that you that if you say anything, you do have to get paid. So I'm shocked that you didn't get paid. No, I was told that if I sat down in the chair, I would have gotten paid. But because I oh. stood up and he prevented me from sitting down, he wow. stopped me from going around to the actual sitting down. So but I, how I cool, didn't I didn't how know. cool would that have been for you <laughs> to actually sit down on you know on TV, although that was my intention. That was my right. Now it's funny because as and and we'll like I said, we have a bunch of things to talk about. But the cool part about being a page is that nothing nothing is off limits. So even though you didn't go sit down live um, on air, I personally, and if you go actually to a page in history TV, I think right on the main page we see I think Peter Carousella and and um, and. Um, uh, <laughs> um now i can't even think but my brain you know we have them sitting at letterman's desk because we used to go into the studio yes. and pretend to do our own little talk show on letterman's set while nobody was there so did you ever oh, have a chance okay. to did you ever play on his desk and we used we've pictures of we're laying on the desk and going nuts did you ever do that no no only in the uh, remote control area when we brought tours you know that that was it i was just up there with the vision mixer up there and the cameras, but never played around. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah, we we and again, I don't know if that's what other pages did, but again, go to a page in history TV. You'll see it was actually I think Ken Hamill and Peter at the Letterman desk doing their thing. And then all the you know, we did, you know, you've, there's pictures of like pages like on the Today Show set and on the SNL set, because um, we used to go in there all the time and just and it was weird because, uh, you know, again, we could go in and just, you know, I mean, you could you could take the door home if you wanted to. I mean, nobody would even notice. But in any case, fascinating. Uh, so we'll continue. We'll continue going on. So I guess. Uh, well, you had mentioned uh, Jack Welch. Yes. And, and a photo, a photo of that. And I have a similar story. But but tell us about Jack Welch and explain who he is and, and why you had to do it. Well, it was 1987, and Jack Welch was the CEO of GE, and GE bought NBC, I think, in 1986. 
but this was the photo opportunity for him to be amongst pages, you know, and there was just a couple of us that were all gathered on that day that they decided to take the photo. And um, I had um, me, uh, Diana Chu, Joel Mandelbaum, Tan Noonan, and Steve Pine in that photo I recently sent you. And I'm the guy, if you're looking at the photo on the left with the mustache, <laughs> again, <laughs> the, um, the Tom Selleck look in the 80s was all a rave, you know. But, um, yeah, and, you know, we were all like, wow, we were pretty fortunate to be able to be here taking that photo with him. And it was one of those publicity shots. So right. I'm surprised that it's still existing. I don't have the original, but somebody right. mailed it to me. I think Joel Man uh, Mandelbaum sent it to me. Wow. But, and I'll yeah. put that up on the website as well. Um, uh -huh. So do you know why... Was it just like, did you just get a call for, or, or did Janice, I don't know if you had, if Janice Panino or, or Mary as the page. I think it was Mary. I think Mary. it may have been Mary um, who sent us, whoever was at uh, work at that time. We all just were told, okay, go to the NBC, you know, where the cafeteria was. Right. Um, and apparently the, there was some nice lighting or wherever, wherever it was taken and mm -hmm. the background. So it was whoever was there. And I was just fortunate I found myself, like I said, for the 22 months I was there, very fortunate with all the stuff I had done. So, yes, just being right. lucky. Right. And again, I've spoken about it, too. I mean, I from the second I'd walk in, I was just so grateful. Yes. And yes. so I couldn't believe what we were doing because we were literally having access to it literally was going to like. Willy Wonka, land, you know, the chocolate factory I mean, or Disneyland. I mean, it was like we were in we had the, it was. the kingdom. It was. It was serious because I, I couldn't believe there was a guy named Tim also who worked with Mary. And I don't know if he left at that point, but he was part of he was a page at one time. Then he became like in the management. And he said, you have access, he said, for the next 18 months to go wherever you want, do whatever you want to do. Find out what you like and dislike because you got the most freedom after you give your tours and your responsibilities of tickets and all. Then find the areas that you want to eventually get a job in because we're not going to do it for you. You got to do it yourself. Right. And that's how I was able to find my niche in technology. But wow. yeah, it, it was an opportunity like um, that we had that just came down from heaven. It was brilliant. Right. And I'm going to just, again, just add in when I was a page, um, for, for whatever reason, they, there was some event, was, I guess it was an event or something, but at, and during my time, Bob Wright was the president or Bob Wright. Oh, actually that's right. Bob Wright was probably still the president of NBC. Jack was the president of, of GE. Yeah. So I have, that's right. I have a picture. They, they called me and I, I believe Chris Sulger was in it. And I think Brian Grossman was in it. Um, Loria, Christine Laurie, I think is in it. Um, so I have a photo with, maybe a dozen of us pages sitting around Bob Wright, you know, for whatever reason they, they use that for as well. And again, you know, and it was so funny because, because, you know, again, we're, we're, we're like this big on the totem pole That's and right. I'm hanging out with Bob Wright. And what was so funny is that somehow I became friendly with his wife, Suzanne wow. and yeah. And, 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 and it was a long story, but I was invited up to the, to the executive office to talk to the NBC executives for something, whatever. And then through time I was getting, I got a call from Bob Wright's secretary to help her do something in the building because she couldn't seem to get it done. And mm -hmm. I'm saying to myself, I go, you're the president's secretary and you're asking a page to come help you accomplish a goal. That's insane. You know? So again, there was no, 
there was no level of like we're better than you or or vice versa. Mm. Really, we I, yeah. I I felt so grateful to just be a part. of I, I was so happy to do anything, you know, uh, in that respect. So that that is so cool. Um, so speaking of really cool guys, um, Donahue, which produced the show, I believe an eight. I think it was eight K. It was eight G or eight K on the eighth floor. Yeah, remember? it was definitely eighth floor. Yeah, eighth floor. Uh, when you walk down the floor on on the eighth floor, his studio was to the right, which I think Rosie O'Donnell might have taken over when he left. But Donahue was awesome. So tell us your experience with him, because he he's also a total mensch. <laughs> he's good. Yeah. Well, with him, it was basically the same type of scenario when it came to the guests and making sure that they were well like fed and, and had um, whatever they wanted to drink in the green room and, and just helping him out um, whenever he needed, um, you know, like the um, snaking of the cables of the cameras whenever they moved it or the booms of the uh, microphones. And he was just a, a very nice guy to work for, you know, and he, he looked upon us not you know down his nose or he was like he respected us exactly as you were saying that you know we were all on even even keel even levels right. so right because we were basically taking care of the audience as well so right. yeah it was funny because and again you know some of these people some of the talent and and you could you know let me know your thoughts but some of these the talent were so nice yes and so like and again to their credit because i know how i am when i'm about to produce something or doing something i i do get a little bit my you know i'm so stressed out about it but you know donnie is about to go on the air and he's like well you know walking down the hall hey how are you he's friendly but and then once he finishes the show he literally we set up a line where every single audience member got a chance to shake his hand if they wanted to Right. Yes. Did he do that with yeah, you? Yeah, he, he did do that. Now that you mentioned it, I do remember that as well. And being the original talk show host, and I don't want to put anybody else down, but he was the true, authentic man who wanted to know what was happening. Not Nowadays, as you know, things have changed a bit when it comes to chat shows. Right. But everybody kind of respected Phil Donahue, you know. Right. I don't want to emulate his way and what was being said rather than it being a bit you know cheesy you know you know what i'm saying right right he was he was his show was very respectable and yes. and had you know real topics and yes and he really and he was just so nice and again I, I have to give him credit because you know as you know there's so much pressure in producing a show and he's mm -hmm. trying to you know and again he has all his notes with all the guests and you know what questions he's he needs to ask etc and, you know, the fact that he was so nice, you know, prior to the show starting, if I was in his shoes, I'd be, you know, reading my notes and making sure I don't screw anything up. And, you know, uh, Ben, uh, uh, you know, uh, you know, get those people out, you know, get those people, you know. So you have to really just give him credit that he was so, so nice. And, you know, uh, and again, you would see him around the building and 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 like I said, he would he would say goodbye to everybody. Mm -hmm. I just yeah. I don't know. I I just feel that those people and we talked about Tom Hanks, you know, in the past, you know, some of these superstars are superstars because they really are superstars. You know, yep. they're truly like the nicest people. And when they they run to this, you know, they get so big. But when you talk to all the people that know them for the past 20, 30 years, they that's how they've been. They, they're, yes. they're, you know. Yeah. Well, that's amazing. just 
he he and Don Pardo, I would say, are the same, you know, mm. ilk. Because when I worked with him, um, doing over the credits, over the crawls, he was just a genuine guy, decent bloke, you know, didn't have a bad word to say, and he was just willing to take and retake. Um, I don't know if I told you, but I worked with him in the over the credits where we sent them to Burbank, and they had to check him out, and then he did them as well for us at uh, Thirty Rock. Yeah, so, yeah. So I want to go into that story. So uh, you mentioned Renee Dutton, or we talked yes. about prior Renee Dutton, and then the NBC owned and operated stations. Yes. So were you a page in the, at this point, or you had? Not I was been... a page, and I was seeking out where to go. Eventually, trying to find out what's what's available, and um, she was allowing me to come upstairs and see what they do. And it was at that pinnacle moment where I was almost thinking about going over to CNBC, but um, she allowed me then to go into the recording rooms with him. There would be a pre-script um, of eight seconds long, 10 seconds long, where they would dip the sound over the credits of whatever is being rolled. Uh, and then his voice would come out, um, other people as well. But I do remember working with him quite well. And um, yeah, it was it was great. It was working with quarter inch tapes um, and then sometimes the two inch tapes and stuff. And it was, it was really cool. It was just a, a real treat to be able to work with professionals like that. Cause you don't get a chance. It was a closed shop. Everything was union based NABIT, you know, or right. IATSE, you know, you just could not get in. So I was like, right. wow, this is great. So again, I'm going to just going to go back for a minute. So as a page, uh, you, 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 you somehow, uh, how'd you get to know Renee Dutton? Did, was that I, just... I think I was just walking. It's kind of strange. As we were talking before, I was just walking around the building and there was some people up there that were doing something with technology. I saw this massive booth or studio and mm. I just was, I just stood outside and looked at it and watched it. And she came out and said, could I help you? <laughs> right. and I was just like, yeah, I want to know what you're doing here. Because obviously with the uniform that you're wearing, it, it is carte blanche. You can walk around the building and you're not really questioned, you know, unlike a stranger coming in for, you know, a security right. threat. So I guess because I showed interest um, and she was really cool. You know, she was very good. And then and so, a guy named um, Gary Tut who worked there as well. Oh, that name sounds familiar, actually, to me. Mm -hmm. So so they then said, oh, you want to come into the booth and sit with Don while he was doing this well, or explain that before whole thing. before all that happened that was the end product but she said you got to first learn what we're doing here so i took a couple of weeks to find out exactly what they were doing so i was sitting with her and her assistant how they were writing the scripts what wow. programs were coming across from burbank how much time they were allotted to um write whatever they wanted to pre-show you know and tease people for the next week or next day mm. and then don would come up and it's like Wow, Don Pardo, you know, he's the voice of um, either Saturday Night Live or, or whatever, you know, and he's like <laughs> everything wow. else. Yeah, right. yeah. So right. It was like it was like, you know, you, you're shocked, but you can't really show you're starstruck, you know. Right. Yes. You got to put on your professional face. So but he was like, yeah, yeah. You know, this is what we do. And he showed me what he did. And then, yeah, I was allowed to sit into the recording booths. And if it didn't make the time, if he was running too long in what he was saying, they would say, oh, can you you know, shorten it up or take out a couple of words? And they would re-rack it and do it. But it was a great education, you know. Wow. And again, there's so many cool things about this because, you know, um, it's 
and and this you know i just read an article from actually this is really funny jack welch's wife now that i'm thinking about it, i think it was jack welch's wife because jack has since passed away I it saw art, yeah it was an article from her it's really perfect perfect timing but she said you know if you ever wanted to you know become the ceo of a company or or raise through the you know rise through the ranks staying at home is probably not going to do that for you which is okay but if you want to you know learn and and move and and grow you know in person is really the way to go and he mm. says she said like that's not for everybody but if that's the way you want to go so to your point and even for me and probably you know everybody else you know the fact that you're walking around the building seeing something and and remember those audio booths and Don Pardo, those are legendary. Those are like, it's like hollowed ground. I mean, it's like, like this is literally where radio started. So those booths, some of them probably were the radio studios, which then, you know, they converted for television. So here it is, you're, you're, a, you're a, a, you know, an interested kid and you see it and you're like, what is this? And yep. you, yep. you know, and one thing leads to another. And, and I find myself to this day, and, and maybe you as well, even when you were watching Renee write the scripts and then watching Don track it and then having them say, pick it up a second. I remember all of those things that I saw in my world and it, it, it was an education. Yes. So yeah. I remember, for example, and it's funny, I had the, the privilege of working with Don, La, Don LaFontaine, who was the, he was the inner world uh, voiceover for the movie theater. We tracked him once through an ISDN digital for those listening, a digital, you know, over over the uh, digital line back in the day before, like the Internet and whatever. And we we, we were on the phone, I think, for like, I'm going to say five minutes, maybe. And we did the math. And I think he made like like, you know, a thousand dollars a word, <laughs> you know, like and he got on and he tracked it. And 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 you know normally you would give them direction, but I'm not going to tell Don LaFontaine how to read this. It's mm -hmm. like here's the script, read it. So he reads it, and again, my audio guy is is timing it, and let's say it came in one second too long. Yeah, the the audio guy would say, "Hey, pick it up a second. and these guys just will reread it, and it literally is one second faster out of a 30 second read. It's unbelievable. Mm -hmm. So when I when I watch that stuff and I had also, you know, you're just like absorbing it when you go on to to work in the business, you know, these are the experiences that are priceless. Priceless mm -hmm. because you're seeing how the how the industry really beginners, you know, did it and and that spills over to the next generation. So again, it's I think it's so cool and it's it's really important for folks like you and me and everybody else to pay it forward. And when somebody wants to learn about anything, I'm happy to talk about anything to anybody, you know, if they if they want to hear. But um, but it's so helpful because the, the information that you learned, you know, can be passed on to other generations, you know, so it's so cool. So, oh, so, yeah. so cool. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Wow. Okay, so we'll move on to the next thing, which is the page uniform. 
Now, everybody has their opinion of the page uniform. You know, I, yes. it's, it's a big it's a big issue. So tell us your take on on the page uniform and receiving your page uniform for the first time. Well, obviously, when I was first hired, you know, you come in there all green and you're, you're young and 20 odd. But I never had to wear a uniform like that ever in my life. And it was brilliant. But. Back then, I don't know if you did the same thing. I was asked and told that I had to go downstairs of 30 Rock to the actual um, shoe store where. Yes, um... <laughs> we did. I, 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 I think I did. I, I think. But go on, go on. And I was going to say, Mary didn't come with me, but um, it was the person who she was working with did come with me and I had no clue what was going on. She said, we have to get you shoes. I'm like, okay, this is quite embarrassing, but I'll, I'll go along <laughs> with it. You know, hopefully I don't have any holy socks on, but we went down there. Right. And right. Can you imagine, you know, uh, most university kids will never in their life ever buy or go near Sebago penny loafers. Never. So right. here I am downstairs getting sized and fitted with Sebago penny loafers. And it was just like, oh, my God, you know, do I have to pay for these? What, what? And she's like, no, no, we'll, we'll get them for you, you know, because you got to be walking around comfortably and, you know, you're going to be giving tours and you got to look good. And I was like, oh, my God, this is super fantastic. It was just it just blew my mind. Wow. <laughs> and they were they were um burgundy were, were they yes, right they, yeah, were, they yeah. were I burgundy. Said ox, ox blood, ox ox blood, blood. yeah yeah right so they, they, it was just amazing because you, you would never go out on your own to buy them as a right. 20 you know it'd be like converse you know <laughs> <laughs> right right now it is funny because it's true i don't think i've ever in my life ever purchased a pair of penny loafers um and i think believe it or not i think i still have those shoes in a box i think it's at my brother's house actually i have a wow. lot of garbage there wow but um i think i still have them and it's so funny well before we talk about the shoe store it is true people everybody picked on the the did you have a blue blazer and yes the blue double breasted blazer yep with blue the tan pants tan like beige pants right red tie right. um and you know then you, you were able to uh, wear the badges, the buttons, you know, the right. certain type of pins that you would get if you wanted to. Right. So, and that that's the uniform that I had, you know, had. And again, I think I it's still in a box somewhere. I should I should go to my brother's house and find it. <laughs> but yeah. But again, so many people complained about it. Did you mind? You know, it was a polyester everything. Oh, it was itchy and everything. Oh, it was unbelievable. <laughs> it was just so, you, so, you know. You had to wear another shirt just to make sure that the itchy shirts weren't, you know, it was just, uh, but did you have the new design with the six peacock feathers or the old 11 peacock one? Because, you know, when they went to the six peacock for the six departments of the NBC, you know, sports, entertainment, news, children, whatever it was. Yes. Now, no, now, now this is awesome because that was, I was going to touch on that. So you just, you hit on something, which is so cool. Yes. Um, uh, Basically the current, NBC logo has yep. six feathers and explain to everybody the evolution of what that means, because most people have no idea why it's six feathers and, and say what it was and, and what it was. So re-explain re that, clarify that for everyone. Sure, sure. Well, when I was a little kid and NBC was on everybody's telly, um, you know, the peacock was an 11 feathered 
symbol or emblem that everybody would see, whether it was on the nation's telly or any of their um, letterhead or anything like that. And I don't know exactly when they decided to change it, but they changed it to six feathers only, each one representing a department of NBC, whether it be sports, news, entertainment, I think children's, something else. Um, there's two more. Well, one what? one was radio, the uh, radio, radio division, yes. which yeah. they lost. They, they got rid of their radio division. So technically the peak, if they switched to go to six, for each division of NBC and uh -huh. one of them being radio, but they got rid of their radio division. So there really should only be five feathers. Technically, uh -huh. If that was their thinking. Yeah. So, so I, I don't know if people, people it know would, about that. Yeah. It wouldn't balance then. It wouldn't look so balanced, but no, I, right. um, I think that we had that um on our, you know, like a coat of arms on our uh, blazers. So, but I right. always knew that story, you know? Yeah. It's fascinating. Now, did you get a pin when NBC was, and, and Ken Hamill, who's our resident expert, uh, when NBC, I think it, I'm going to say 52 weeks at number one. I'm not sure. Uh, every employee got a peacock with a number one in the middle. Uh, you know, I guess it was the same six thing, but it had a number one on it. Um, did you ever receive one of those? No, I don't think oh, okay. I ever received one. No. Okay. Gotta remember my, my time was 87 to just 89. So. OK, and I think maybe it was probably maybe 90. And again, Ken can uh, on the website can can fill us in. But, yeah, okay. we all received those pins. Nice. Which was, you know, so all the pages got these number one pins when NBC was killing it back then, uh -huh. uh, which, again, I still have that pin somewhere, probably in a box in my dresser. somewhere. <laughs> but um, but yeah, so that it's so cool. It, it, it's so fascinating. Um, just the history of of uh, of of just the logo and how they, you know, sort of um you know uh, you know altered it and and it, and it evolved mm -hmm. um so i guess some other cool things um i guess uh and i and i really stretched the truth of, with this one a little bit um you told arnold schwarzenegger that uh, she'll be back well uh, so i didn't say she'll, uh, no no i didn't say she'll be I back right i gotta I stretch I the truth I, there so tell us I what that was about yeah well, you know how, as pages, you are put upon certain shows to, you know, do your tour or do your thing. And this was the Today program with Jane Pauley, Brian Gumbel, you know, and Maria Shriver. And I was sitting out there outside of the studio with like a little stanchion, a podium for whatever guests would come. And everybody knew who was inside, but you never expect the lift doors to open up. And this monster of a guy comes walking out stands in front of me and just says, where's Maria? And you just point at the green room. You just don't say anything. And he goes off, you know, this massive mountain. <laughs> and did that, you know, well, um, I knew who he was because 84 was uh, obviously the Terminator, but in 88, 80, you know, you're kind of like quite in, intimidated by this massive man. <laughs> right. And again, I, I just, again, I'll backtrack, you know, <laughs> how cool is it? That it's you're scary, you know, actually it's right. You're 20, <laughs> you're 20, 21 years old. And literally the Terminator is literally walks up to you because uh, remember, he was red hot, white hot. I think even though it had been a couple of years, it's still white. He, the Terminator, you know, is one of his biggest roles or, or most you know famous. Um, so here the Terminator, you know, he walks up to you and asks you where his wife is. And, you know, again, as a 21 year old kid, 
it's one of those things. Did you I don't know if your parents were, you know, like, did you go home and be like, oh, my, like, did you go? Oh, my God, you're not going to believe who I saw today. You know, yeah, yeah, people people don't believe you. You know, I mean, my my mom was more impressed with Don Pardo than the Terminator. The Terminator you know, but, right. <laughs> right. It's so but, funny. But obviously, friends, yeah, you tell them all this stuff and it, it, they just can't believe it. You know, you, you just you don't care about the pay. You just care about all this, like appreciation of what you're doing and it's just like wow you know but right. yeah him and i didn't speak it was <laughs> right so it turned out his wife was actually in makeup yes uh, so i use the sort of punish not really when i said she it wasn't made up but she was <laughs> she was being made up in the studio uh getting her makeup put on before she went mm. into the today show uh mm. which is funny uh and actually it's funny even with brian gumbel just touch touching about Letterman, you know, when Letterman, you know, used the bullhorn to annoy him when he was down on the plaza, you know, they, they got into that big fight because he, you know, interrupted the Today Show while, while Brian Gumbel was doing his thing. So oh, yeah, and, there was a lot of argy bargy between those two. Yes. Right. Which, yeah, which, um, <laughs> which again yeah. is what I, what I loved because, um, because that's, I just loved it. I, and again, now that I'm thinking back on it, I think I just loved it because I was able to see behind the scenes mm. and I just found it fascinating. I don't know why it just, you know, you're seeing, and also I actually am not a very good one, but I am a magician. Oh, and yeah. Uh, yeah, I went to magic camp, uh, went to the same camp that David Blaine went to uh, oh, wow. give a shout out to, yeah, to Tannen's He's magic. He's over camp. here quite a lot. He He's is over, actually. And I, I mean, yeah. Yeah. And I became friendly with him uh, and I've been I've been to his his office and, you know, he's he's very, very nice. Um, but he also was a camper, uh, mm -hmm. not too far from when I was a camper. But um, but I'm interested in in that, you know, it was the magic of television. You know, what you see on camera is not really what exists. You know, it's all fake sets and fake this and fake that. And we make it look good. And with magic, that's what I was interested in. You know, we we make it look good. And I think mm. that when I produced produced stuff, I use that magic mentality to just create that illusion of something looking the way it was, even though it's mm -hmm. not real. You know, so that magic yep. relationship was was interesting. Oh, so, so you must then remember when um, talking about what you just said, how long we as pages used to have to freeze our butts off when the tree went up and they had to rehearse. <laughs> the Christmas commercial where everybody was down with Prometheus on the rink in front of 30 rock. We were there for like sometimes two hours, but they, it was only a 30 second clip that you would see on telly. Yes. So, and, and that was that my, my that was my department. I worked in creative services. So I, right. I, I have to say that I didn't do much. It was actually <laughs> Rob, Rob Port did most of it with Randy Pyburn uh, who directed it. And, and, and that was the big deal. Uh, and I'll uh -huh. explain it to the viewers. You know, so WNBC would would have their little sing along. Yes. And yeah. they would call the sing along and they would give out tickets to to we'll say random, but they probably weren't random employees of WNBC. Yeah. Plus the talent. And okay. basically my department was responsible for producing that. So and I know Rob Port, if he's listening, which I know he's not, but Rob, if you're listening, hi, which I know he's not, but um, Rob sort of took over, you know, and Randy Pyburn was the head of our department. So they would put they would pick the song and they would put the cue cards against the back wall so everybody could read them from, you know, 100 feet away. 
And then if you were lucky enough to get a ticket, you would stand on the on the platform. And then to your point, it was only a 30 second spot. But, you know, people like, let's say, Chuck Scarborough, Chuck might not. He's not going to stand out there for two hours. So they'll be like, (laughs) Chuck's here. Put Chuck up, get a tight shot of Chuck singing, pull out, get a wide shot. Oh, Roker just showed up. Put Roker in. Let's get a wide shot. And then they would do, you know, and then everybody would have to try to sing and coordinate this this thing. So yeah. I think when I was there, I was actually a producer or not a page. So I didn't have to wear I could wear a jacket. But I guess to your point, if you were in it, if you were still a page, they didn't let you wear a page, a jacket over your uniform. So you no. had to freeze your. Yes. Your, <laughs> that's all. Yeah. And that's wow, yeah. To your point about being the magic of telly where, right. you know, you were out there for two hours for this 30 second, you know, clip. <laughs> <Right. laughs> that is really funny. And and it's so funny because to this day, um, maybe not as much, but it's still a beloved uh, tradition that I know the WNBC folks really enjoy being a part of. And mm. I guess it's cool because if you're in New York and WNBC, let's face it, is the number one net, uh, station. It's the number one market in the country. So to become to be in a little promo and appear in New York mm. singing, you know, is kind of a big deal. If you're if you're working at the station, their family and friends can see them singing um, and then they get a big kick out of it. So it is a fun it is a fun uh, thing. So, yeah, I miss it. I miss the lighting up with the tree. It was great. You know, yeah, it was so much. I mean, and again, one year I was working uh, when I was working for news, I was ripping the scripts for live at five and the six o'clock news. And I guess they lit the tree. I, I did. There was a couple of years where I was sort of a part of it, but one of them, I was ripping scripts and I'm looking out the window and I, and the seventh floor where WNBC is on the seventh floor, or at least it was, and looking out the window and the tree is right in front of us. So I'm ripping scripts and literally watch the tree light up right in front of me. That's cool. It's one of the, yeah, it's one of those things where it's like just you know shoot me shoot me in the face like it was just so it's like one of those once once in a lifetime uh, experiences. So a cu- couple of more quick things. So sure. I guess the cool thing is you know the fact that you had chance to roam the halls, do yep. all this crazy stuff that actually led to really your career in, in a way yes. or, or your focus. So just yeah. tell us about, you know, how you roamed about seeing the cameras, the, the equipment and and then you met someone and had that turn into a career. Well, as you just said, I used to walk around and once I had the bug, the itch, and I would find a little niche and try to get into that room or that studio or whatever recording thing. And one time uh, nightly news was on. And I think they had their door left open a crack and I was just hanging around there. And this guy let me come in and his name was Charlie. And he introduced me to a lot of the things that you would never, ever get a chance to touch or look upon. He was the lighting director. So he was showing me stuff because obviously the uniform, he was showing me stuff in in the grids with the big, massive five kilo lights and the one key lights. And then he was also introducing me to his friends and and other workmates in the camera unit and the sound unit. And I became like a a weekly person that would come and check it out even on weekends because where I lived on Long Island, coming in by the LIRR, I would just do it on my off days and and learn from him. Yeah, wow. And he would show me these guys operating 
the massive big one inch tapes where it would be recorded uh, for any type of playback, commercial playback. And um, it wasn't until he wasn't showing up after a couple of days that his colleagues said, well, he died. Oh, and wow. I didn't know that. And they said, well, his funeral was a couple of days ago. It was out on Long Island. Oh and this was God. the weirdest thing. I said, well, I'm from Long Island. He says, oh, they lived on so-and-so block. I said, well, I'm only three blocks away from that. And to this day, I didn't know where uh-huh. he lived. And he was only three blocks away from where I lived uh-huh. all that time. And I was going in and out being taught all the big tech stuff. So I owe a lot to him, you know, and I, wow. it then gave me a job in CNBC. And then from there, I came out to work here now with the BBC. So, wow. So again, just to touch on that. So uh, um, again, it's just so cool that this gentleman um, was so again, kind enough to, to just pass along that information. And, you know, it's, it's really touching that, that it literally changed your life, just giving you the time to, to learn. And, and again, I give you credit and, I, you know, for, for coming in on your days off or the weekends and just trying to absorb it. And, and I also was the same, like I, I, I used to sleep at 30 rock many times. I think everybody did. We just, we'd sleep there all the time. Just, just to. Yeah. After SNL to, and all that. Yeah. After <laughs> SNL. So, um, so it is so cool that you were able to to look at the you know because it's true when you go in the studio, seeing those lights and the grid, um, most people don't understand that it takes a lot of light, at least back then, probably a little bit better now, but a lot of light for the cameras to pick up the image. So the yes. studios were very very bright and and some sometimes very hot, but generally they try to keep them cool. So just you know looking up and seeing all these lights around people don't understand that that there's a lot of lights but not every single light is turned on at once so maybe just explain to the viewers like like how you control the lights in different parts of the studio and and maybe what you learned watching that because i think they may find that fascinating yeah he um eventually showed me how basically to do three key lighting like you'd have yourself background lighting to light up a subject a front key light and then a side light to create some shadows and obviously on a grid system, you have this scissor type of way of bringing lights down and up. Uh, and this way you could get certain lights closer to the subject or further away to cast a shadow and just to create an effect. Mm. And he said that, you know, eventually you can go and do, which I, I never did, but you can go and do, let's say, dramas like, um, I think it was As the World Turns or Another World or whatever one that we had at that time. But I just stayed with news because I found news very fascinating. And uh, yeah, he had a, a lighting board. So he was able to like light up, uh, take, for example, Sue Simmons or even even um, Tom Brokaw. You know, you had uh, a, a second person so he wouldn't be lit at the same time as the first person. And you could just fade up the lights um, back then, as you, as you said, they are massively big and they would blind you. But you would still look for the sweet spot because you could either rack it to make it spot or you could like flare it so it could be just cast all across the entire bit that you want you have bar and doors to control things so it was it was a massive learning experience probably like you said more than i learned at stony brook that's where i went to uni Mm -hmm. and then you know it was just uh an education all summed up within let's say eight months it was just amazing right so exactly so you know and again you're seeing the and that's the thing when you're seeing a professional lighting Tom Brokaw, you yeah. know, um, 
anything else that you may hear from other people. Yep. It, it, you, you say, well, you, you have that point in you, you have that reference to say, well, I know what it how Tom Brokaw's lit. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I may not agree with it, I, you know, but you you know how he's lit. And ha- and the fact that he explained to you how, how to create more shadow, how to, you know, flare the lights, how to do different things. Then when you have to do it, you could take what you learned from him and yep. take what you learned at Stony Brook and say, well, I would prefer a softer look. So I'm going to do this or I'm going to use these types of lights or I'm going to dim it a little bit. So it it's it's it again, it, being part of that experience or even anyone listening to this podcast. And I say even for their kids, you know, they should they should even if they don't get paid, they should volunteer to go work with professional if they want to be lighting people, camera people, you know, anything, talent, whatever it is, because there are certain we'll call them tips and tricks that they do that that they've done and they've learned over the course of a, of a career that they could pass on to you immediately and will save you the next 20 years of figuring it out on your on your own. Um, so really? so so it's just so amazing. So. Um, so I guess you, right. You'd worked it. And, and I guess two other quick things. So with you, you were given an assignment in Washington, DC to, and that's sort of how you got the tech. That was another experience. Yeah. That, that was a bit more. Yeah. That was a lot of experience thrown into one. There was a couple of pages that were asked to go down to Washington, DC to help out with meet the press. Um, it was during the time when the unions weren't working. Oh, so okay. we had to like get um, thrown in the deep end, really. Right. And um, if can you imagine, you know, again, 20 year olds getting all saying, OK, down you go. So vision mixing Chris Wallace on Meet the Press on Sunday mornings and also wow. then running around Washington, D.C. Um, it was just my my technical experience just went from height to height. You know, I was just like I said to you before, very, very lucky. And there was a couple of us who went down there. I think um, I think Chris Simmons went down there and a woman named Emily. I forgot her surname. But wow. um, yeah, so we went down. <laughs> just, it is, yeah. And it's fun. Yeah, because and it's true. Uh, you know, when I was well, as a page or even a production assistant and other things, you know, you you just watching that watching all of that stuff take place. You you like through osmosis, you just learn you learn it, even mm-hmm. though you don't think you're learning it. And watching the the process and 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 even how they you know maybe the stage manager counts them down to the talent or how they break or how they or how the talent responds to um, negative you know a bad interview when they go to commercial break does the talent lose their mind or does the talent just be like well that was fun you know and it helps you as a as you're growing say well you know Mike Wallace didn't uh freak out or you know sue simmons did, although actually sue simmons did <laughs> there is a couple of her freaking out a couple of a couple if you check out youtube but but uh but generally she was i mean that's just she was just wild but um but it you know chuck let's say chuck never lost it i'll, I'll even i'll give chuck credit this man is like a stone <laughs> he, oh yeah chuck scarborough he, yeah yeah he will never he i've never seen him lose it and like I said, he he was he's like Mister Straight Laced, um, you know, mm. professional. So I'll, I'll give that to him. Yeah, so, but going down there, I mean, I learned how to shoot because uh, back then they were going from um, a different type of tape where they would have an umbilical uh, cord type of tape machine to the actual camera. 
Yeah. At that time, they were coming over to like these Sony Ikigami cameras where it was mm. all inclusive into one camera unit. So right. you could be what they call um, uh, a one man band, you know, so right. you'd be able to shoot and do the sound all by yourself. Right. So that was good. But yeah. I had more of a worry. This is meet the press. You know, this is going out right. to the people on Sunday morning. So my attention wasn't on the actual talent sometimes. I was like, am I going to press the right button by playing this piano on the vision mixer? Or am right. I going to cut a camera? That's not, <laughs> you know? So I was- it is. Right. And it's so funny you mentioned that because, again, I, you know, and, and when I worked at WLIR, uh, when I interned, you know, I was using a quarter inch tape to mix the radio concerts and such. And I had to cut it with a razor blade and, you know, do that. And, and again, even I was on the radio station in high school and I was on the radio station in college. But again, oh. you're you're controlling the board. And the question is, did I shut off the microphone after I stopped talking? <laughs> because, you know, everyone's hearing what's going on in here. So, yeah, I was freaking out because you're you're controlling the board. You're talking and you, you don't know. You know, let me just hold my butt, my finger on that one, you know, on the on the potentiometer, we called it back then, you know, just to make sure I turned it down or I flipped the switch off and I'm yes. not going to touch anything yes. else, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Because God forbid you screw it up. Yeah. Um, so anyways, the, the final thing, I guess, as far as um, I'll ask you is uh, you weren't really a roadie for Saturday Night Live, but but talking about some other technical stuff. You yes. did have the opportunity to to do something there. Oh, actually, that and then Madison Square Garden, working Madison oh, yeah. Square Garden. Ma then we'll, Madison we'll wrap Square it up. Garden. Yeah, I mean, I love Madison Square Garden. I think Joel Mandelbaum got me into doing the corporate box in Madison Square Garden. He still works there, believe it or not. I think oh, really? He works. Yeah, yeah. He's. I think he's one of the directors for the Rangers at wow. MSG. But wow. you know, you know what it was like. You had to be told how to do the corporate box by getting the guests a drink and a snack. And then you just had to sit back and watch whatever was going on, but you were not allowed to do that training wise for a concert only for hockey games or basketball games. But I was very, very lucky to see many different concerts there. Obviously the Islanders, the Rangers, but there was one time when Atlantic records had their 40th anniversary there. And um, the people who were in the corporate box were having such a good time that when it was all done and dusted, they turned to me and said, would you like to come with us to the after party? And here's a location. And I was like, okay, cool. Sounds great. I mean, again, so yeah. cool. Okay, <laughs> so, so cool. So nice. Yeah. But when I got to there, it was somewhere downtown. And there was, believe it or not, a page at the door waiting. And um, the thing was, the page who knew me said, oh, go ahead in. You know, it was not a problem. So um, I went in. And there's loads of people milling about everywhere, here, there, and everywhere. And um, the thing was, I recognized David Johansson, who was at that time going by the pseudonym Buster Poindexter. Now, I don't know if many of, of your um, listeners know, but David Johansson was one of the New York Dolls back in the 70s. But he changed his whole look and persona and everything. And nobody was speaking to him. And I oh. went up to him and just started talking to him. Because you got to have a little bit of, you know, chutzpah. You got to have some... Right. Right, right, yeah. We talk about he, that a lot too. Yep. <laughs> so he was like, "Yeah, this, you know, this is my new album." And I said, "Yeah, I like your new song, Hot, Hot, Hot." And it was, he just totally changed his look, and um, yeah, I, I felt like, "Wow, I'm I'm talking to this big star," but it was just like you know, you and me talking now. Right, and it, it's so funny because, um, and I've said this in the you know, uh, this podcast is sort of a, an uh, homage to uh, "Fly on the Wall" with Dana Carvey and David Spade. 
and they talk about um, same thing. Like they'll they'll go to a party, and you know all the big stars are there, and you and you know David Spade is like standing by himself. He's like he's like yeah. yeah if I walk into a party, <laughs> he's like I, I feel like an idiot, and he's like I just I just sort of go to other comedians <laughs> and like try to strike up a conversation. So it's true, you know, it, it, like even as a page. You know, you go to these parties, you know, we used to go to the SNL parties and, and there was a NBC threw a lot of parties back then. I mean, I remember these massive parties which don't exist anymore. But um, but yeah, you go to these parties, there's all these famous people and they're just standing around. So you could just walk up to them and strike the conversation. Yeah. They're probably more excited that you're talking to them. Then <laughs> you're excited, you know, because they're like, thank God someone's talking to me. You know, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm one of the biggest stars on Earth and, and I'm here by myself, you know, yep. um, you got to brush off that, you know, fear that like um, I'm just a lonely, you know, page. But at the end of the day, we're all human. And the same kind of thing happened when I was doing Saturday Night Live. You know how there was subgroups of pages doing the upper level and the lower level, you know, the different yes. sets right. and going on to my encounter with Robbie Robinson, who's no longer here. He had um, a couple of guitars out the side and I don't know where his roadies were, but he said, can, can you just bring me that guitar and put it on that stand? And I thought, holy cow, you know, this right. guy was from the band. He played with Bob Dylan. And again, he's just talking to me like I'm just a regular Joe, right. you know, right. and he's entrusting me on that. Right. So it, it is. Yeah, it, it, it is amazing. I, I will say it was such a nice feeling to be able to walk. And I guess what it, what it is when you, you know, once you pass the security uh, in main in main hall up into NBC and WNBC, um, you, you, every, you all become equal. And and it's true. And, and everybody I can't think of anyone. Well, I guess I can. But but for the most part, you know, everybody really was so helpful and friendly and supportive. And it really was just an amazing experience. And it's it it, it it's so cool. And it's funny, actually, because I guess technically for you to hand him the guitar, I guess probably was a union job. So probably yes. te technically you were probably not allowed to do that. <laughs> um, so you so you broke a union rule. But I broke uh, so many union rules. <laughs> I, you know, <laughs> so, um, I mean, now yeah. 36 later, I'm talking about, you know, other things like going down to D.C. and stuff. But I mean, you know, right. And you know. so it's true, because and again, for those you mentioned, Ayatsi and yes, uh, Nabit. Right. Yeah, uh, so those Nabit, are two Bacteria. two technical um, uh, unions. And of course, we had the Writers Guild of America East, yes. which, which I was in the Writers Guild. Um, but yeah, it's funny because in at NBC and and now we just the you know um, the Writers Guild strike you know and the and the uh, the actors strike and such yes you know yep. um, it's we there's a reason for that to exist because these people are professionals and I will I'll give that we'll, we'll sort of end on this note but those people who were in the union. And I'll even give a shout out again to like for Saturday Night Live, you know, the set builders and and all the tech folks for them to pull that off. Is nothing short of a miracle. So yeah. you have yeah. profession when you show up to do a shoot and, you know, in, in any part of the building, these guys, guys and gals, you know, are so professional. It's like, boom, we, you know, I probably the, the, the only delay is like when the talent, you know, screws something up, you know, but the, the crew 
and the sets and everything that the control rooms, they are ready to go. And it's just, you know, you put the talent in front of the camera and, you know, it's it's only when the talent has to redo stuff or the talent shows up late. There's a thing. But shout out to and I think of Steve Grimes. I don't know if Steve Steve was a director for WNBC. Um, uh, if he's listening, you know, man, he you know, watching those folks. I mean, it was a madhouse, you know, watching them produce a live show. Mm. As you know, it's it's insanity. So how they can can keep hold that together. Um, well, anyway. This has been amazing. Uh, so many great stories, and I can't thank you en enough. And I guess it's getting late uh, over where you are. It's a little bit earlier here, but you're, I guess, five hours ahead. So it's a little probably getting late for you. Um, but okay. thank you. No problem. No problem. Yeah. Thank you so much. I mean, this is this has been such a pleasure. Um, I really, really, really appreciate it. And I know the listeners are going to enjoy uh, listening to these great stories. So thanks so much. No problem, David. Thank Ladies you. and gentlemen, Mr. Ben Hoffman. Thanks for listening to A Page in History. A Page in History is produced by David Harris Katz Entertainment. For more information on our television shows, syndication, and more, go to dhkatz.com. And to listen to more episodes of A Page in History, or if you've been lucky enough to call yourself one of the world-famous NBC pages and would like to appear on the show, go to apageinhistory.tv.